Hi, I'm Jimmy. And I'm Kennedy Carman. Hurry up and save at the all-new R-Town Ford. Your new choice in Randallstown. There's hundreds of new Fords with total savings to up to $12,000. Or choose 0% financing up to 72 months. It's my town. It's your town. It's R-Town Ford. They've got a license to talk. Shocking. Positively shocking. And the words are for your ears only. I think you got the point. Welcome to The Words Are Not Enough. On episode 15 of The Words Are Not Enough, it's a Danny Boyle extravaganza, as the man himself explains his involvement in the franchise. And we finally get some updates on the Bond 25 production team. Plus, Anthony Horowitz provides new details for his upcoming 007 adventure, Forever in a Day. All this and more coming right up. Stay tuned. <laughs> what is up, everyone, and welcome to The Words Are Not Enough. This is our bi-monthly James Bond <laughs> talk show. I we Actually, we really have no timetable for this, but it, yeah. I don't know. Bi-monthly kind of sounded right. I was going to say bi-weekly because actually I think this episode is bi-weekly. We yeah. actually you know, didn't wait so long to put out an episode. Maybe it's because we, we know what we're doing this Hashtag time. Or proud. maybe... Right, or or maybe it's because there's actually some Bond news to talk about. But anyways, yeah. before we dive into that, I am one of your hosts, Griffin 008 Schiller, and I'm joined by my lovely co-host, Brody 005 Saravelli. Wow, that's the first time I fucked up your last wow. name. But anyways, Brody, say hello to everyone. How how are you doing on this um this terrific Friday? How, how, oh, I've lost track of the days, honestly. I don't even know what day it is, so thank you for reminding me that it's Friday. Yeah, um, that was really the only reason I mentioned the days because I knew that you were lost in the sauce and you needed some reminders. <laughs> also, I was thinking about this last night when I was I've been rewatching um, a couple of Bond uh, films, eighties Bond films. Yeah, and um, yeah, I I kind of wish I'd made mine 004 because I like four as a number better. But well, you know, you can change because realistically, it means absolutely nothing. We just will, try to be fun and funny. Oh, uh, I'll wait for 004 to die and then I'll assume his. Uh, his mantle yeah right right well it was kind of funny because we the the past couple days you know you've been watching some bond films i've been watching some bond films and we've been conversing about it so it's been kind of nice um you've been doing like delving into more of the um the the 80s and up up until like 90s kind of bond films Mm -hmm. and then i've been going back and rewatching basically all of the connery era so we've been getting both very different doses of uh of bond but both pertaining to the cold war so it's kind of interesting yeah no it's been very interesting i um yeah no, i know I, something about like that era speaks to me i think we we're going to speak a bit more about that later on uh possibly um oh no that's a different topic we're talking about no topic. that's a different yeah. topic but so um, you can feel free to kind of oh here we go kind of div- like you know express your interest yeah in it now, no i was just um this will be the most on topic off topic intro we've ever had i but, think um, so because we're actually talking about james bond so this, this is, is kind of mind-blowing it's shocking positively yeah. shocking but, oh um, my god there we go the puns <laughs> are not enough but uh, oh there we go and we've got our is not enough reference in already. Dude, we're on top of everything today. We're this just ahead of the game. We when don't have to wait until the game. Bi-weekly, the end. man. When it's bi-weekly, we just hit our stride. I agree. I agree. But um, yeah, no, I was just like, uh, we were talking about, we talked a bit about this when I was watching them, but um, the 80s Bond films, I've always had like a real connection to those, the, that era. I would, and what I would classify as the 80s is like literally from the beginning of the 80s, so like from For Your Eyes Only, right up until like, um, I would count Goldeneye as part of the 80s, you know, it's, 95 but, but it um, still has that feel of like the previous yeah, films yeah and they all yeah. feel the same and I mean like granted that's because 
all of them except for GoldenEye are directed by John Glenn. But um, it's just interesting that, because like John Glenn's not a director I would have thought of as having a directorial style, but mm-hmm. he definitely has left sort of an, a, a, an impression on the franchise in the way he sort of regards the material. Like, especially considering like all the, the late Connery films and the early Roger Moore films all sort of are very over-the-top, gadget-laden, um, with a lot of emphasis on like sort of the, the, the sci-fi elements of the series. Yeah, and then it's, few, they're they're definitely more about the spectacle. Yeah, I mean, not not even like action spectacle. It's more it's more just like sort of like crazy exotic locales and beautiful women and uh, right, the gadgets right. and the cars. And then you get to Fury Eyes only, and even though there's still there's still a lot of that in the like those last few Roger Moore ones especially, uh-huh. but um, there seems to be more of just like a focus on like Bond sort of being more on his wits, more more sort of. I don't know. And his, right. The plots yeah. seem to I, like, I, revolve more around like the Cold War and like things going on in the political now of the time. Um, yeah. And I would say the last time that the franchise really did that was from Russia with Love. Yeah. Which was absolutely. way back at the, that, at the start of it. So it's kind of interesting how it's just like it kind of started out in that realm, but then it like deviated so far away. And then yeah. it kind of like came back around to it. And it's it's so interesting because like like we're seeing this now with the Daniel Craig films and we will talk about this a little bit later. But yeah, yeah. There is a um, there's sort of like a harkening back to that '60s sort of aesthetic, and it's really interesting because no one ever harkens back to the '80s aesthetic, which I mm-hmm. think is almost for me anyway. For me personally, is almost more iconic to me because that's like when I think of Bond, that's what I think of. I think of like those that like that's that span there especially because of things like Goldeneye and Tomorrow Never Dies and not Tomorrow Never Dies fuck um uh License to Kill and Living Daylights those three are some of my favorites and so yeah, yeah. That, like, that kind of grounded but also like still a little over the top uh sort of aesthetic is what I think of when I think of Bond and well, yeah. it's, it's also, like, it, it's kind of, like, the two major points of the Cold War. Like, you have the 60s stuff with Connery, yeah. especially from Russia with Love, which is very, um, you know, reminiscent of that time period. It's very relevant to what's going on in was, the world um, at that point in time. It was JFK's favorite book. At least yeah, well... well it, at, at, at that year, anyway. <laughs> sure, yeah, I believe it. Um, And then you've got the stuff with, like, The Living Daylights and, like, well, not so much License to Kill, but, like, um, Goldeneye and and all that stuff, which very much invoke um, the feeling of the Cold War well, even during but, but, but the But License to Kill 80s. really taps into that drug war sort of thing going on, so even it... Right, right. Yeah. It's, it's not so much on the nose as, like, The Living Daylights is, per se, but it is, like... You're right. It's it's a different part of the world um, during that point in time, but still, you know, tying into the larger worldly narrative. I guess you could say. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. It's like I think, um, and I think a similar a sort of uh, feel like they tapped into that again with Casino Royale. Casino Royale is very much reminiscent yes. of those films in that it's it, and I mean. No surprise because it's uh, Martin Campbell, but uh, yeah, it definitely has that sort of fe- that same feeling of like very aware of the world it's taking place in, while still being a James Bond film. So yeah, absolutely. No, yeah. I, I I agree. No, and I'm glad we started off with this because this is a great conversation that I think we <laughs> you know kind of started last night, but then now we 
kind of were able to to finish it. So yeah, we have an audience um, this time, so that's nice. Yeah, right. So <laughs> I, hopefully you guys enjoyed that. But um, let's dive into some news here, starting with Tomorrow Never Lies. Now this is really the main reason we are doing a regular episode, um, is because we actually have an official announcement from uh, you know, Eon, MGM, and and all that jazz. So we've got our official Bond 25 announcement. I'm going to be reading you the press release that they put on their Facebook, their Twitter, all their social media sites. So the the statement reads as follows. We've been expecting you. Bond 25, Daniel hey. Craig's fifth outing as 007, will be directed by Academy Award winning Danny Boyle from an original screenplay by Academy Award nominee John Hodge. Production is set to begin on the 3rd of December 2018. MGM will partner with Universal Pictures to release the film worldwide. Now that is the actual statement, but it should be noted that the untitled sequel will be released in the UK on October 25th, 2019. You lucky bastards in the UK, you get it. (laughs) Way before us in the U.S., I'm gonna uh, plan a get trip. On, I'm gonna plan a trip yeah. for that time of the year. <laughs> Honestly, God, I think I might have to, um, because we in the U.S. get it on November 8th, 2019. Ugh. So it pays. It pays to be a Bond fan in the U.K. Who would have thought? But. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, while the statement appears fairly straightforward, there are actually some interesting bits that we're going to cover. So, first off, the international distribution, which is probably the biggest thing to take notice of here. Sony Pictures has handled the distribution of the last four Bond films from Casino Royale to Spectre, and while Eon opted to go with MGM and Annapurna for domestic distribution when the deal expired, many assumed Sony would still be handling international distribution. That is not the case. The switch to Universal is actually kind of a huge blow to Sony, and it's garnered some serious coin had they maintained the international distribution rights. You know, because Sony has been struggling for such a long time just, you know, selling off their properties or, 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 you know, leasing them. You know, take a look at Spider-Man and stuff like that, and Bond was really the only property they had that was you know gonna give them guaranteed money and now they don't even have that so that's kind of detrimental to sony but whatever that's their problem so (laughs) the next uh the the way they handle i'll 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 chime in after you finish. <laughs> yeah, sure. Th- no, sure thing. Um, so the next thing to take note of is the start date. So with all the higher ups at Eon appearing to be appearing to be 100% on board with the script penned by John Hodge, as we mentioned in previous episodes, they wanted to read the script first before they 100% locked down John Hodge and Danny Boyle for the the film. Um, and so it goes without saying that Danny Boyle is now confirmed to direct 25. This will make for an interesting timetable for Boyle, seeing as how he's shooting a smaller scale original musical for working title this summer starring Kate McKinnon, and it sounds like he's going to very quickly complete post-production on that film while simultaneously prepping for Bond 25, which is going to be a a massive task for him. Any Bond film is going to be a massive task, but jumping from that small project to something like Bond 25 will not be easy, but... We trust in Danny Boyle. So the Bond 25 filming date was likely non-negotiable since Eon had promised that fall 2019 release date. So it'll be very interesting to see how Boyle juggles both uh, both productions. So this kind of it, it should uh, let me back up real quick. It should be it should be noted that this kind of thing isn't 
entirely out of the norm for Boyle. Um, you know, he previously shot principal photography on 2013's Trance, and then he put that aside for a year so he could direct and um, ultimately create the London Olympics opening ceremony. Um, and then after that, he completed post-production on Trance. So Boyle does have experience ta- uh, tackling multiple projects yeah. at once. So that'll hopefully... Um, prep him for this monumental task of you know switching between a fucking musical and Bond twenty five. So, yeah. <laughs> and, and interesting to note that the the London opening ceremony was also a Bond thing. So yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> a lot of people were you know you know, pointing to that when Boyle was announced as a as the the front yeah. runner for Bond twenty five. But anyways, you got all that information. Let that digest, Brody. What are your thoughts on this? I mean, it's essentially what we knew was coming. We predicted it. Yeah. Um. And, and all the signs really pointed towards Boyle and Hodge teaming up to to bring us Bond twenty five. But um, the the interesting bit is the Universal Pictures distributing uh, distributing the the international um. You know, having the international yeah. distribution rights, I should say. Sorry, I words very hard. But anyways, uh, Brody, uh, just let me get your thoughts on all this. Um, well, first of all, I gotta say, like, yeah, we already called this kind of, and I think most people like keeping their finger on the pulse kind of knew this is where it was going. But yeah, how can you not be excited when you hear uh, we've been expecting you? That's, that's oh, it's great. Oh yeah. my god, that, that just gets my blood going. Um, it's also really exciting just like when they say Academy Award winning like that's or Academy Award nominee all that stuff is really really cool um, yeah, yeah. and it gets you excited um, really really happy about this Universal thing uh, not that I think Universal is the best like a distributor well I think it's definitely like a step up from Sony definitely if, a step if up being that, that's, the, yeah. that's the main takeaway is that uh, Sony as much as it's a joke that Sony kind of flounders around and whatever, but they did such a bad job um, with, like, just with, like, the Spectre, with the, um, the Sony leaks going on yep. around that, and then we saw a bunch yep. of, um, I don't know if you, did you read any of those Sony leaks? I didn't, I, I, well, you know, actually, I think I did a while back, but I just, I, I mean, I don't even remember them, yeah. but I remember, th- I remember the whole, you know, debacle that it was, and it just, you know, it's really a shame because of some of the properties that they own, but Sony is just, as far as studio goes, they're just like a floundering fish, and it wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if they capsized at just like any moment, Yeah, um, so and they eventually have to sell off everything, so it's a good thing that um that Universal now has the distribution rights, international distribution it's rights not, for yeah, it's, it's nice that property. Bond's away from that like sinking ship just in case, because yeah, we wouldn't sure. want to have yeah. like another delay because of legal stuff, and right. Ugh. But, uh, well, so it's now- also good for Universal, though, too, because that that's going to bring in some serious coin for them. Um, their big property is obviously Jurassic War, the Jurassic Park franchise, and stuff like that. And yeah. so this will be a nice uh, second avenue to bring in some some serious coin. Absolutely, um, and they're a little so more stable. I, good too, for them. I yeah, say, I a, mean, you know, studio. they have that. Yeah, they they had that whole you know dark universe debacle, but right. um, yeah, but it, you know, they, they I, didn't capsize the whole like brand. It was just sort of no, not They at made all. A, no. a, a dumb decision as a studio, but that happens everywhere. Um, for sure, for I sure. yeah, no, I I I'm just like it's nice to see that it's found some stable ground. It's found some people who are 
more than likely going to stay afloat. Like Universal's been around forever. I don't think it's oh my, going yeah, anywhere. I mean they're they're one of the um, like the original studios that are yeah, still you know, and so, operating. And then also we might get a James Bond theme park ride at Universal Studios. So <laughs> that's, that's what you're excited for. That's, yeah, that's pretty exciting. I would be definitely okay with that. You can go from the Jurassic right, Park right. world. Oh, sorry, the well, Jurassic I mean, World sh- one to the um, right. It should be noted that this is only international distribution right, rights though. Yeah, but I mean domestically like, they went with Annapurna, which I think we were both talking was the perfect suit like we, we were Fantastic, talking a while ago yeah. but the perfect studio for them with you know all of the um the choices they've been making as a studio and how we you know some uh, a studio like Annapurna is not going to really interfere they're just gonna you know put out the film and, and yeah. you know give you the money needed to um to produce it I guess you could say yeah. um so uh, that's I think that's just like a match made in heaven. Personally, I'm happy they didn't go with Amazon or you know Apple or any of like the up and coming internet company studios or something like yeah, that. They went with yeah something more yeah. traditional, which is definitely in line with Bond's sort of ethos. And also, um, yeah, who uh, oh, who produces the Mission Impossible films? That's uh Paramount. That's Paramount. I think. Okay. Yeah. I was I was for a second there. I was like, wait, are they in the same? But then not. That's okay. That um, would be hysterical. That'd be really if funny. that was the case. <laughs> that universe. Yeah, you know, the Universal has both Mission Impossible and Bond. The I mean, then they'll make a spy um spy universe instead of the dark oh universe. Oh god, that would be horrible. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I I think um. This is great news. This is really cool. Because, again, going back to the Sony leaks, um, which I, I read a little bit of those. I, I felt a little bad reading them because, obviously, they were obtained illegally. But um, yeah. some of them, yeah. some of them. I mean, they came to surface and I wasn't going to not read them. And some of the absolutely ridiculous things going on behind Spectre. Um, I know some people are lukewarm on that film. Um, yeah. But yeah. the fact that it's not a complete disaster is a testament to Sam Mendes as a director because the studio notes that they were giving him were ridiculous. There was yeah, some really, really yeah. dumb stuff. That I, and like the, I saw like different drafts of the script and they had different things going on with like, um, originally they were going to play a game with conch shells or something. Oh and God. In, instead of the interrogation scene, it was going to be like a game, like a, like a casino game, but like Blofeld wanted to beat him or something because of, something it was really dumb and then get, had like, get get it sony's creative team sucks man it's really They're, bad yeah. they just don't have any clue on what works and what isn't bad yeah exactly so i'm really glad it's like as far away from them as possible yeah um, seriously for like for financial reasons for creative reasons for just every reason possible so yeah yeah universal i don't they could end up being just as bad but i don't see them being I can't worse see it. than, no, than they, Sony. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I really don't see it. You really haven't heard too many negative things about Universal as a distribution studio. Um, yeah. Yeah, so exactly. And I, that's the thing. They're distributing as well. So it's not like yeah. they have a giant... And it, it's only international. So they're not like they have yeah. like too much of a thumb in the pie. But yeah, no, that's great. Um, the other thing that the other thing that concerns me is that Danny Boyle will be juggling productions. That was the next thing I wanted to ask because we touched yeah. on that when the rumors first started to arise that Danny Boyle was one hundred percent the front runner and he was yeah. definitely 
more than likely going to tackle the project because we talked about the fact that he was going to be juggling um, these two projects. So now he 100% is going to be juggling those two Mm -hmm. projects and they're two very different projects. So the question I want to pose to you is, do you think it's going to affect the production at all? Or do you think, do you have like faith and confidence in him and his abilities? I have faith and confidence in his abilities. I kind of wish it was the reverse order though. I kind of wish he got the massive Bond 25 effort out first and then sort of recuperated by doing a smaller film I rather agree. than yeah. doing a smaller film and then jumping straight into a bigger film it's like you've just mainly it's selfish mainly i just don't give a fuck about this this no um, i really musical. don't either i mean until and, i see a trailer or anything but yeah it's, and, and the I, fact that it's a musical too it's like such a different genre whereas like you know when yeah. he was tackling trance in the opening ceremonies you could kind of you know, paint like a parallel between the two of them because Trance was definitely like an action thriller and like Bond and the open, which inspired the opening ceremony. Yeah. Um, which, you know, and this is, this is the thing because like they're saying it's a smaller scale original musical, but it's it's still a musical. And musicals are uh, intensive sort of productions just because there's yeah, choreography yeah. and music that you've got to deal with in camera. <laughs> and so. But um, it could be interesting though because it's, if I'm not mistaken, I think the musical is centered around the Beatles in that time period. So maybe he'll be able to draw influence from that time period um, and be like, oh, hey, you know, Bond during this time period, maybe something can kind of work for this movie. I I don't know. I mean, it's just a thought I had. process is weird like that, so you never know. But um, yeah, yeah. I just, yeah, I just wish that he wasn't, I don't want him to be exhausted doing Bond 25 because you can tell when the director is exhausted and I want this, yeah, and I want, (laughs) and I want this film to feel alive and energetic and like just balls to the wall, like really, really exciting. And I'm worried that if he, even if he's like, even if he's doing a smaller film before, it's going to take a toll and, but I still have faith in him. He's a great director and and he's done this before. So obviously he's comfortable with it. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, he he yeah, knows I, what is going to be expected of him, and he knows the task it's going to be to switch yeah. between projects and he knows and switch what between he's two of. vastly different projects. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He knows what he's capable of. So obviously, if he feels confident that he can do this, then I have confidence in him, and obviously, Eon and all the producers have confidence in him. So. Yeah. Um, it's a good sign all around. So to kind of wrap this up, I, I think that this is great news. Um, we mm-hmm. we knew it was coming. They're going to start shooting in December, which is exciting. That means we're going to get pictures and set photos and all that good stuff that we can talk about on the show <laughs> uh, late this year and early into next year. So this is just all around great news. They've been really hyping up this script, so I can't wait to see um, what's in store for us. So, moving on to the next topic, which is not really moving away from where we're at. (laughs) Most of the news really just has to deal with Bond 25 and Danny Boyle. Um, But this is just kind of like an interesting little uh, tidbit that surfaced. So, Danny Boyle actually almost passed on Bond 25. Now, even though the director has been confirmed now, we just read you that whole thing, um, he was surprisingly hesitant when the project came his way, stating recently at his masterclass at the Liverpool Institute for Performing Arts, I like watching big films, but I don't think I'm necessarily good at making them. That Then I thought, no, you, should make, you shouldn't think like that, <laughs> <laughs> and which is just, yeah, I mean... 
come on, you're offered Bond, you don't turn that down. But anyways, Bond 25 will, interestingly enough, mark the director's first real attempt at a blockbuster film. Mm -hmm. While he may have had initial reservations, he soon realized he needed to set those aside, set aside that mindset, and after hashing out the details regarding his idea for Bond 25 with longtime collaborator John Hodge, that's when he finally decided to accept the position, saying the following... We have this idea about what we want to do with Bond, and I feel we should have a go because of this idea. So we are trying to stay true to our principles. It should also be noted that Boyle was also driven by his desire to tackle the unknown, quote-unquote, and not get into a pattern of repeating himself. Bond will ultimately allow the train-spotting director to venture into new territory, which is something I guess he he thrives in. So, Brody, what are your thoughts on these comments? I have a lot of thoughts on these comments, actually. These sort of, this, um, <laughs> like, like, surprisingly, why? Why am I on this podcast? Um, well, it's good. But, this is what we want to hear your insight. But, um, yeah, no, it's, um, it's interesting because, um, I get the hesitation. I get uh, some people are hesitant because he isn't an action director, and we kind of like. There, there has been a sort of a, this focus on more auteurs lately in the franchise, uh, especially like after Sam Mendes sort of did, did what he did. Yeah, with, with that, that was really the first real, you know, oh, yeah. they got Sam Mendes. Now we only have to get Academy Award nominated directors. Right, yeah. But even like, even going for Mark Forster was more like going towards that sort of auteur crowd. Not necessarily. Was like, it? I mean, he's not like, a, he's not like a, a, as acclaimed as Sam Mendes, but he's a, he's a, an indie director. He's a smaller sort of. Oh, like, oh yeah, of, for sure. I yeah, mean, he, the, the films yeah, he makes I mean, are he's, more like yeah, sort of yeah. drive vision driven rather than um, yeah, like yeah, sort of being big tentpole things. Um, yeah, and so like, I, I get that there was they were going for that, um, but there is always this hesitation because like you look at you look at Mark Forster, he obviously was not an action director because he didn't know how to direct action, mm-hmm. um, and Sam Mendes surprisingly at least, at least with Skyfall did a really good job. Mm-hmm. Like, I think the mm-hmm. action in Skyfall is energetic and well shot, and... Well, I mean, you got to take into account Sam Mendes also did Road to Perdition, which had some shootouts in it, you know? Right, but I mean, like, nothing to the scale of, like, that opening scene with the on the train. Like, that is one of the, one of the most yeah. energetic action scenes of that year. Well, and, and it goes back to the fact that it's not necessarily the director, it's who the director surrounds himself with. So he has if he has a great stunt team and a choreography team behind him, they're going right. to craft some awesome stuff. But even like but even I think I feel like the action was a little lacking in Spectre. Except for that opening though, dude. Except for that, that opening. opening exactly. The opening's fantastic. Holy shit. Nothing yeah. else in the movie matches up to that opening. That one shot, I mean, it's just it's genius. Yeah, and there's a lot a lot of the stunt work with the helicopter, but even some of the yeah, yeah. even some of the stuff with the helicopter, the way he shot it was a little annoying. Like I feel like whereas in in Skyfall, he sort of knew exactly how to shoot all the stunts. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. In Spectre, um the when the when the helicopter does its loop to loop that should have honestly been a wide, wide, wide shot where you yeah. saw, and you yeah, should have been right. able, and you you're should right. have been able to see the you should have been able to see the ground a little bit just so that when it does the flip, it doesn't look like it's just rotating the camera. You know what I mean? And yeah, it definitely like when you're watching that and it goes to inside the helicopter, they definitely like built some sort of mechanism to like spin him around or they put the camera yeah. on like some sort of rotating device and which they, is totally <sighs> fine it's just like yeah, they, yeah, actually, right. they actually did do the, the they actually did make the helicopter sort of do like a barrel roll and it's like you can sort of see that in like in camera 
Well, yeah, not sort of. Yeah. You do see it in camera, but the way it was shot, it's like it's not as breathtaking as it probably should have been. It should have been like, yeah. holy shit, they just did a barrel roll in a, like, not even a barrel roll, like a loop-de-loop in a right. helicopter. That should blow your mind. Well, and that's, uh, this is slightly off topic, because mm. that's one of the reasons why I'm looking forward to Mission Impossible Fallout is for that helicopter stunt scene, because that's, yeah. they, it looks like they've choreographed that the right way. And with Tom yeah, Cruise, exactly. I mean, obviously they're going to, they're going to go all out and they're going to do it the right way. That was a little aside, but still Which kind of related. actually does tie into what I was going with this and um, this sort of, um, cause, cause this is where I was going with this, and we were talking about this last night, but basically, mm-hmm. uh, well, not even last night, we were talking about this before we, we started shooting today. Yeah, we were talking about, um, yeah. But there is an argument to be made, like, um, that maybe the Bond, it, it, maybe the Bond films shouldn't be going for big auteur directors. Maybe they should be going for more, like, sort of workman, like, journeyman type, um, like, action directors, like, yep. um, like a Christopher McQuarrie, not necessarily yep. him, but, like, someone yep. who, someone like John Glenn, who has basically gone up through the ranks, worked in the industry his whole life, knows the ins and outs of, of like, choreographing an action sequence, the stun second unit, like, sort of work, and uh-huh. that, so when they, they, because that's why I feel like all the stunts in those, those 80s Bond movies are so great, like, that opening scene in The Living Daylights, the reason... That that yeah, action scene that was is so a great exciting. Yeah. Is because John Glenn knows how to shoot a chase scene because he shot chase scenes his entire career, and so while I'm still excited to see what 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 um, Danny Boyle would will do, I'm really like I, I'm really really hoping he knows how to sort of bring the bring the the goods when it comes to the action scene because we haven't really seen him do anything like that before, and I hope yeah. he doesn't get like scared and go, well, I'm not going to do anything that that like you know that ostentatious because well but but if you go back to the fact that you know he wants to venture out into new territory and take mm-hmm. risks i think that ultimately means we're going to see some pretty audacious things here um, hopefully yeah hopefully and I just like because like because now it has to now bond has to compete with something like mission impossible whereas like a couple of years ago there was nothing else doing the sort of stuff that bonded now it has to yeah. actually compete well and now you've also got john wick which is having incredible fight choreography which brings me to the next right. point i want to make which is when they eventually cast the new act- actor um and they do new stuff i obviously i want to see christopher nolan do a bond film because i think he's just made for that but i would not be opposed to seeing either david leach or chad stileski step in and do a bond film because i think they've proven that they can make movies um and especially Mm -hmm. when it comes to action they are there's no one like them in the business so i'd be interested to see what they do with a bond film or if they're not going to direct it have them choreograph the action because then you'll definitely get some memorable stuff yeah and then but that's like more of the hand-to-hand stuff and then the reason i would hesitate to, to compare Bond to something like John Wick because I feel like they've always been like really intense because even like the Bond films had pretty good in, big, pretty good choreography um, but there's, there's nothing right. to like, like that, that grand spectacle st- scale like you know what I mean like Bond I was think, sort of well okay did you see Atomic Blonde time, Atomic Blonde yeah I did see Atomic Blonde okay I, I but that, that, that sequence though the one shot sequence I mean that's that's pretty spectacular it was just hand to hand fisticuffs though you know what I mean I'm, I'm but talking that about, could like, be interesting stunt. I'm talking about like like in Mission Impossible when he jumps out the window in sure. Dubai or 
how you know that sort of thing like the big showstopper set piece right I well like, I think those those directors have been around the business for so long they've been stunt choreographers for so, so oh, long for that sure. I think yeah. they'd definitely be able to tackle that big stunt and if anything it would be a challenge for them and seeing how they overcome that challenge would be interesting um, yeah and I think but that's, that's I mean that's a ways away though right and well, my, my only hope is that um, just I'm the reason I was concerned the reason I brought up as a concern with Danny Boyle is that we just don't know what exactly he has planned for the action stuff because we right. haven't seen him do this this like this kind of scale before. Um, I still have a lot of hope that he's gonna bring the bring the goods, but that is something to sort of like that 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 has been on my mind at least in the last couple of days mm-hmm. since this announcement. Mm-hmm. Where I was just like, I'm thinking about like I really because I really don't want Bond to sort of fall into disregard while something like Mission Impossible takes its stunt trophy from it because I mean anything <laughs> they can do they can do better yeah. and, and like <laughs> you know I, I'm a little protective so it's like as much as I really want to see great stunts I want to see Bond doing great stunts well you know how so, we solve this you know how we solve this problem how do we solve this problem we cast Tom Cruise as James Bond and then we'll only get epic stunts oh my god that's sounds- horrible idea absolutely <laughs> horrible idea but nonetheless <laughs> Good or you know what you do you know what you do you just hire I, because I, I guarantee you that <laughs> I could just see him doing this you hire Tom Cruise as like one of your co-stunt coordinators <laughs> I just I, I don't know so why he's go. not a stuntman to begin with. Yeah, well, because he's an actor first and foremost, and he can just wear multiple hats because he's Tom Cruise, you know. But I feel like he's the, he's such an adrenaline junkie. I could just see him being like, you well, know he what? Is. I'm, I'm just I gonna mean- do this <laughs> just because. He's literally become Ethan Hunt. Remember in um, Mission Impossible Two. When yeah. like they they like they transformed Ethan Hunt into like an adrenaline junkie for some reason. Yeah, yeah. No, like he has on. become that. He's become that. He's become Mission Impossible Two. Ethan yeah. Hunt, which is well, it, it, it is um it is interesting to note there was like one se- that that sequence in the Fallout trailer. This is a little off topic, but <laughs> kind of not. Is isn't there like the sequence in the Fallout trailer that's like straight up Moonraker? You were talking about it oh, the other yeah, day. Oh yeah, they straight up do the um they do the skydiving yeah like stunt yeah. from the opening of moonraker where he's like i don't know if they're without parachutes um or at least i don't I'm know i'm gonna if, assume that they are because it's well <laughs> in in moonraker they had parachutes like the stunt guys right. had parachutes it was just like they were hidden underneath their clothes but um they, it was to give the illusion that they were, they were skydiving without parachutes and i'm yeah. wondering if they're doing something similar because i saw someone in like in a halo suit and he was jumping and yeah. someone like tackled him around the legs and i was like holy shit they're doing like straight up the Moonraker bit. Yeah. See, and, now um, Mission Impossible is borrowing from the old Bond films. Maybe Bond needs to go back and borrow from its past, which but is what I'm saying. A bit. They should go back to those big show-stopping set pieces, and I'm hoping yeah, that yeah, yeah. Danny Boyle, because I, I I love the drama, and I love the I I feel like we the the, the way Bond can sort of surpass, um, can reestablish itself as being like the sort of the, the king is that yeah. you can have like that Skyfall esque like sort of drama and pedigree while at the same time like in terms of like cinematography and script writing and all that sort of stuff and acting but then at the same time also have like these massive stunts and i think that's why skyfall sort of resonated with so many people because it had these incredible stunts um even though it was a smaller scale film it still had these really great like set pieces um like the train even the train crash was like a really cool little bit um yeah yeah and i don't know i just i just feel like um 
that was the one thing that, like, as, as someone who liked Spectre, that was the one thing that was sort of missing for me from Spectre, is that none of the action felt immediate or, like, jaw-dropping. None of the stunts felt like... Right, oh, yeah, that big, you know, snowplane stunt was just pretty underwhelming. Yeah, and I, so I'm hoping that, like... I'm hoping Danny Boyle... I'm worried that Danny Boyle won't do something like that just because of his past, but I'm hoping that he's aware that this is what it takes to do a Bond film and yep. he's ready for the challenge because he's going to be surrounding himself with people who are... I think Vic Armstrong's coming back. He's surrounding himself with, like, mm-hmm. veterans of the series, so mm-hmm. I'm not concerned that there won't be people on set who know how to do stunts. I'm just hoping he has, like, the... Because even someone like Sam Mendes, who did well in in Skyfall made a lot of missteps in Spectre because it sure. wasn't his second nature to do these kinds of films in the same way that it was for people like um, John Glenn or Martin Campbell. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. yeah, um, fingers crossed, but that is like, I, I feel like we've sort of lost the thread a little bit, but this is that is one one thing I was like a little concerned about that um, I'm hoping he's up for the challenge. <laughs> no, sure. Well, and I mean, as long as there's no CGI Komodo dragons, I think we'll be all good. Hopefully so, there's no CGI skydiving like in Quantum of Solace. <laughs> oh, oh dear. Oh dear, Quantum <laughs> of Solace. Let's get away from that movie and move on to our final topic of Tomorrow Never Lies, our new segment. Um, and it's a birthday. We have Ooh. the birthday. The birthday, Ian Fleming's birthday was on May 28th. And so we want to wish uh, the deceased man uh, yeah, a happy birthday. That's my birthday. mom's birthday. Well, there you go. I guess that makes sense as to why you're a Bond fan now. Yeah, that's it. Um, but question for Brody, because he is the novel auteur on this show. Ooh. What is your favorite Fleming novel, and what is the best Fleming novel? Oh, that's hard. Um, yeah. I mean, the, the, my favorite is Moonraker. Right, 100%. you said that on the podcast. I've said that before, times. and yeah, it's, it's, it's just unbelievably readable, uh, just great characters, great that perfect balance of like Bond being depressed and kind of like sort of a live wire but at the same time being kind of more jovial and more um I don't know just having having a fun adventure without sort of being weighed down with like oh shit like I was portrayed by Vesper and all this sort of crap (laughs) Um, (laughs) yeah and his best novel that's hard that's hard um I mean I would say his uh, yeah, I mean, like, his writing is generally really good across the board. Mm-hmm. I, but I would say in terms of, like, thematic complexity and in terms of sort of writing a character with depth and layers, it's mm-hmm. got to be between Casino Royale or um, On a Majesty's Secret Service, which is right. a surprise to no one. But I just think in terms of, like, the stuff he tackled in those books while also providing a, a really fun sort of pulpy adventure is really, really impressive. Um, I'm going to give it to Majesties just because it came at the end of a series almost. And mm-hmm. he was, and I really love the stuff he was doing with Blofeld and like sort of giving Bond like, and like, you know, an arch nemesis and that sort of thing. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I'm i going to go with Majesties. I think not only is it a, there's a reason it made a great movie and there's a reason they didn't change too much is because it's a really fantastic book and it's a really well-written book where like a fun fact about the book if anyone didn't know uh apparently George Lazenby read the final like pages of the book to make himself cry for the scene at the end of On a Majesty's Secret Service like apparently he was moved to tears by the book and so he did that on set which is really cool Mm -hmm. um 
But, and that's well, a testament who, to how well written the book is. But yeah, yeah, yeah. And who said George Lazenby wasn't a great actor? Um, Lazenby, <laughs> he's a. Well, the, <laughs> I think George yeah. Lazenby said he wasn't a great actor. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay, fair enough. Well, anyways, uh, there you go. You've got some light uh, summer reading to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Some light summer reading about the time that James Bond's entire world just shattered. <laughs> yep. Yep. Exactly. And if you want a more adventurous novel, go with Moonraker. Go with Moonraker. Uh, if you haven't read any of the novels, so that's going to do it for to Tomorrow Never Lies. Um, if you have any comments regarding any of the topics we discussed, be sure to leave it in the comment section of wherever you are watching um and moving on to q branch which is going to be that mean that i hand over the torch to brody we're sticking to books though books are uh books are a huge thing going on right here brody what do we got what do you got in store for us for q branch anthony horowitz and uh in his new novel right yes we do uh so forever in a day which is i guess out in the uk right now and will be out here yeah what the fuck at we the have to wait the, uh, like november <laughs> just it's unbelievable a really long wait too yeah well yeah, although i did read that you could import it you could get a uk version imported into the us so that oh, might really? be what we do but i don't know if i want to do that because i prefer the the cover for the us version over the uk version it's a very cool cover yeah it's like, like, like the, the, the mainly like the typeface for the for the actual um the actual logo that looks ridiculous like shattered glass but uh yeah no so in an entertainment weekly exclusive uh anthony horowitz revealed the u.s cover for the his um highly anticipated 007 novel forever in a day um and so that we just talked about this a little bit but it's coming out later this year in the u.s um and it is Horowitz's second novel. His first was um, Trigger Mortis, mm-hmm. which if you haven't read that, it's really cool. It has some like reincorporated elements from um, some of Fleming's like sort of Fleming sort of uh, temp scripts that he wrote. Uh, definitely go check that out if you haven't. We've talked a bit about it in the podcast before, but uh, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. So essentially, the the new novel will be a prequel to Casino Royale that takes place about two or three months before the first novel, uh, and. About this, Horowitz has to say, uh, it's really an exploration of what turns Bond into the hard-edged, quite cold-blooded assassin that we sort of know him from as in the books. Um, What are the forces that mold him is basically the question he wants to ask with this book, which is a little curious considering we we, kind of know what that is. Yeah. I mean, we were... Right. um, Yeah, so anyway, as expected in a Bond adventure... A, a beautiful a beautiful woman comes into play and this time an older more experienced person by the name of Madden Madam Sixton um or 16 I, guess, I don't know how it's meant to say I'm gonna assume it's 16 yeah, but it's, it's just spelled odd. really really weird because it just would make sense that it's yeah. a kind of weird like name last name I don't know <laughs> who plays a key role in expanding the young Bond's horizons so basically she teaches teaches him sexual acts that he did not yeah. know existed this book, <laughs> this book is almost a love story teases Horowitz um, at heart there's a big element of romance in it but of course there's also a thriller and a character study um, when coming up with the storyline for forever uh, Horowitz stated that he relishes uh, he relished in coming up with a fresh action sequence for Bond. Um, there's one in particular in a factory in the south of France, which I think is probably the most violent chapter ever written in a Bond novel. Um, readers will be very surprised by what happens in it. So that's exciting. That's something to look forward to. Yeah, yeah. Um, what are your thoughts, Griffin? What are you thinking? Um, cool. This sounds 
interesting, but I also think it's a case of like solo syndrome, which we were kind of <laughs> talking about beforehand, where it's like we the character becomes who he is in Casino Royale. Like that is for all intents and purposes the origin story of James Bond. Um, so the fact that there is this event that takes place like only two to three months beforehand, it just kind of begs the question, like, like why? Like, why is this a necessary story? We already have the backstory in yeah. Casino Royale. And even, you know, uh, Horowitz in this interview, which if you want to read the interview, it's pretty good. It's in Entertainment Weekly. Um, he even says in the interview, like, pieces were laid that alluded to, like, a, a past that he had in Casino Royale. So this just this just seems even more unnecessary with that um, in mind. And also this this whole thing about Madame Sixteen, whatever the fuck her name is, um, playing a key role in in the movie being like a love story. It's just like three months after the events of this book. We're going to have Casino Royale and we're going to have Vesper, who is the love of his life, who completely transforms his world. Why do we need this really impactful love interest in making this book like a a, a borderline love story? It just it, it doesn't it make sense like weird, to me. Yeah, it's it very, like weird very a, weird aspect of the character to sort of focus on considering. Yeah, there's so many other elements you could focus on that weren't in Casino Royale. Yeah, but why? It just why go seems back to like the same. Well, yeah, right. It just seems like a rehash of Casino Royale, only not as as deep. You know what I'm saying? It's just yeah. like, I mean, it can't be that deep, deep of a cut because he never talks about it again. You know what I mean? Exactly. So, that and that's the only issue I have with it. Like, yeah. I was never really, and I think we talked about this on like last episode or the episode before, but I wasn't really excited about the fact that we're getting a Casino Royale prequel. Um, much in the same way I wasn't excited that we were getting a Han Solo prequel because <laughs> everything you need to know about the character is in that first encounter and it serves to set up the rest of his journeys uh, like you know in later books or movies or whatever yeah um, I see I, the, I don't oh yeah go ahead no I'll just I'll just close out with this the only thing that I am interested in seeing are the um, the action sequences that he's alluding to some yeah. of the most violent ones ever written that's intriguing so yeah. and, and it makes sense for bond at that point in time you know he's kind of like a, a loose cannon he's off the cuff um and he's just gonna be really brutal which we already saw in casino royale so it's like kind of redundant but maybe he'll be even more unrefined in in this prequel novel who knows but um that's really the only thing that gets me super excited aside from the fact that like anthony horowitz is writing it so yeah and it's, it does sound like they're taking a lot of elements from like because in the in the Casino Royale movie, they sort of play up the whole like young agent thing, mm-hmm, which in mm-hmm. the novel isn't there isn't a ton of that. There's a little bit like where he's like he's obviously not like you know he hasn't been a a, a, a double O for forever, but they sort of recount them at a later point just to sort of give him some backstory. It's not really like this is right. his first mission or anything like that. So it sounds like he's taking a couple of those elements from the movie uh, and sort of embellishing on them in the in the uh literary universe which is right cool. so it'll um, it'll the book as opposed to like you know casino royale the movie where it actually shows him uh achieve double o status this book will tell a different story most likely um of him achieving his double o status and that license to kill is, is what i assume yeah the they're probably, big they're, thing they're probably is going be. to they're probably going to like I, I don't think we'll see him i think they alluded to the fact that 
he gets like sort of rushed into the 00 program because 00, the original 007 dies or the previous 007 dies. Right. And so he gets like sort of thrown into this thing. And so we're going to see a lot of that sort of story going on where it's like a, a, a fresh face Bond, which is an interesting right. story, which I think last episode I said I, w- I would be keen to see. Right. Um, it's well, just and that- you mentioned the, the 007 dying thing. That was, there was another article or he did an interview with MI6, um, the 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 bond website not like the actual <laughs> government agency um but um what was it about because you i think you read it i i didn't necessarily look into it but it I basically mean, was he said like 007 is dead and we're like oh bond is dead what but it's like no 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 not yeah. that james bond. The, the previous the old, 007 yeah, yeah the previous 007 yeah which makes sense the rank is sort of transferable um yeah yeah and so, yeah, that, that, that's pretty much what I think the book's going to center on. At least that's going to be one of the main sort of premises of the book, which, uh-huh. again, is that's an idea I like. But this whole madam, that's the one thing. I don't mind. I don't that's like that, thing. yeah. Me neither, yeah, because it's like I, like I like the idea of prequel stories. I don't hate that uh, as a premise. Like, mm-hmm. I, I think I was a little skeptical of Solo at first, um, but if you can tell a story that doesn't rehash the story of the the the, the you know what I mean? Like, if if they had make if they had made a, a story that sort of rehashes a New Hope's arc, which to some extent they do, but mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, then that's a big turn off for me. And the same with Bond. It's sort of like if they do the exact same story as Casino Royale, where he like learns to love and then has his heart broken, that sort of thing. I don't need to see that story twice, back no, to back. Absolutely and not. I I was down to see more of like sort of young Bond. Um, not even young, like several months younger, Bond, um, sort of figuring out his his uh, his new job. Yeah. But then you introduce this love element. And it's like I don't need to see that. I don't need to see that at all because I've already seen it. And especially like, like I'm getting. Like, I don't know if you if you're familiar with any of the uh, Fifty Shades of Grey books. Oh Jesus Christ! But <laughs> in those books, like I I haven't read them, but I know what happens in some of them. Right. Um, it's like yeah. Well, in I think it's like the second one. Um, Christian Grey has a um, mature that, lover like, that's he like had completely a mature lo- yeah he had a mature his, lover yeah, back in the day that like it's yeah. like every woman wants Christian Grey except for this one woman who he wants because like she's like the the older mistress who taught him all his BDSM stuff and all that crap. Yeah. And that's what this sounds like. And that's like, ugh, that's not a comparison <laughs> I want to make. I don't, I don't think we'll yeah. have to worry about also the, that. The whole madam um, thing, I'm, I'm pretty, is she meant to be like the madam of like a, of like a, a you know, a... Um, a whorehouse? Like a whorehouse, yeah. Is yeah. that what she's, which is like, oh God, this is like... I, I have no I idea. That sounds really um, pathetic. Like, <laughs> I will be very curious to read this. I think actually what I'm going to end up doing is is just having the book imported so that we can discuss it, to be honest with you, because I'm yeah. very curious as to how good it is. Um, yeah, so that, that, I'm skeptical of that. I, I, I'm, I'm not skeptical that the book will be good because I like Trigger Mortis. I like uh, Anthony Horowitz as a writer. But yeah. this, this idea sounds a little weird. And a little weird, especially since like if Bond's going to be like fawning over this woman and then he goes to Casino Royale and he fawns over Vesper and it's just like Jesus it just kind of doesn't do anything for the character it just makes it just treads water yeah yeah it kind of just puts his insecurities at the forefront and that's not necessarily something that I want out of James Bond I mean there's obviously some more um 
in I don't a sense. Even mind, I don't even mind the, the insecurities part. It's more. Well, I, I mean, I there's. Don't I mean, like, I just don't like. It's just a rehash of, sort of, of the doing same thing. The same story, yeah. yeah. It's like Vespa was his vulnerable moment, um, and we don't need to see a back to back two vulnerable moments in turn involving two women. You know, it's like if you're gonna have him have a vulnerable moment, make it about something completely different. Make it about having to kill or something like that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like make it about something a little more um, unexplored. Because if you're gonna if you're gonna explore this sort of like how he becomes the hard edged killer, there's plenty mm-hmm. of things that can do that rather than just having being scorned by a lover or you know being unrequited in your love. Like there's there's more than just that that could make Bond cold. Yeah, um, I agree. And we've already seen. The, the love thing sort of turn him cold to, to like, like relationships and all that. So yeah. why not show him being dispassionate, like not wanting to be a dispassionate killer? Because that's a big part of the Fleming novels is that Bond hates killing in cold blood. Bond mm-hmm. is a merciless assassin, but he hates his job. He doesn't like the fact that he kills people and he doesn't like doing it when it's not justified. So why don't you explore the origins of that? Make it, make it, uh, make him grapple with that a bit and sort of establish this sort of long running. Cause that's something that's referenced in all the books. So establish that don't establish fucking Madam 16 and <laughs> like, I don't need to see that. Yeah. No, again, I I'm, agree. I'm prejudging without having read the book. It could be something completely different. Maybe, maybe he has to murder Madam 16 and that's what he gets all like sort of wishy washy about. We don't know. Right. Well, so. I think we'll find out soon <laughs> because I am I already have it pulled up on Amazon and I'm gonna order it. I'm gonna oh, get it, it imported. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. Um and you should do the same, Brody, so that we can have a great lively discussion about it. I actually might do that. Yeah. I actually, is it like a is it a hard cover or a paperback? Uh they have both. They oh have excellent. Both. Good. Because yeah. I don't want the hardcover. <laughs> oh really? You're not you're not a fan of the hardcover? I can't read them. Yeah. I, I, I think they're the most obnoxious things to hold. I like them when they're put on a shelf, but yeah, yes. actually holding them, they're no, no. I totally agree. Yeah, they should have like hard. They should do hard cases for um, paperback books, so you can take them out of the hard case. Yeah, the yeah, best of cool stuff. Books. Well, anyways, uh, the show continues. Not talking about books, though. Um, we don't really have anything for Brother from Langley. That's really only you know like a once in the wild kind of segment. We already I think the we next... talked a bit about Fallout earlier, too. Yeah, so that we kind of incorporated that into other stuff. <laughs> so let's just move on to the big thing that we're excited about: Shaken but Heard. Our discussion segment. Um, mm. We got a really juicy one here, and it, it kind of stemmed from a conversation we were having last night, as most of these segments do. <laughs> um, we were essentially discussing the similarities between the Daniel. Craig era and the Sean Connery era of Bond and how the films weirdly enough kind of parallel each other and what they're trying to do so uh, mm-hmm. I don't know if Brody if you want to kind of start this off here oh yeah so basically what we were talking about yeah so like obviously there are aesthetic parallels between the Connery films and the Craig films because mm-hmm. Craig's sort of going back to that 60s well which is like very in vogue right now um it's like they're borrowing things like the like the more sort of um, uh, Ken Adams looking sets and that kind of thing. Yeah. But at the same time, I think even on a more like sort of fundamental level, and I don't think this is intentional. Um, at least I hope it's not intentional because it's kind of just like it would be a weird thing to plan. But yeah, very um, weird. Yeah. All of Craig's films have sort of like they sort of have an analog in the Connery films. In yeah. like even in the same order, so basically, Doctor No and Casino Royale are kind of similar 
in not 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 narratively obviously but in like the way they sort of approach the material there's mm-hmm. sort of a a more of a, a grounded um i don't know it's just it's just very straightforward approach mm-hmm. to the material well and um, on just like a service level it's the origin story of the character right yeah it's the know? starting of this like sort yeah of this, it's the starting point it kind of like it hits the ground running with like great action a grounded set piece um you know and it's like not and the it's villain, like the character the is still kind of kind like of, eccentric but not like over the top crazy sort of You've got right. a guy who's a cog in the machine of this organization that you sort of hear about, but that's yeah. about all yeah. you sort of know. Um, yeah, and then you and then you get to Quantum of Solace or for Rush with Love, which let's just disclose this. I mean, not disclose it, but just make this very clear. From Russia with Love is one of the best Bond films, and Quantum of Solace is one of the worst Bond films. I but it's one of the worst. I think it's, it's, it's thoroughly average. I think it's an average Bond film. Right, but right, it's, but. Um, but yeah, but no. We should just know that like, from Russia with Love is like higher in quality. Oh yeah, this, this, again, this isn't a quality because I think Casino Royale is better than Doctor No. Well, I agree um, with you, but I mean, at least you can kind of compare those, and people won't be like, "Oh, okay, that's like yeah, fucking out there." So, but yeah, no, th- yeah, this isn't a quality comparison. No, it's um, more of just like a substance and like you know, yeah, like sort of like yeah, just sort yeah. of approach wise. Because then you get to Casino Royale, uh, uh, sorry, Quantum of Solace, and From Russia with Love, and they're both kind of sequels. Uh, from Russia with Love, less so, but it does deal with the death of Doctor No mm-hmm. very directly, considering um, the rest of the series sort of becomes less and less uh, serialized. Yeah. But it was, there's also like a darker tone from the previous film, a more like sort of serious approach to the material. There's a a real it's even world more sort gr- of, yeah real world yeah. even more grounded than the previous one. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, dealing like with like approach. the. Yeah, you know, dealing with like the 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 politics and the the happenings around the world uh, yeah, at exactly. the point in time that that movie was released. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so the, yeah, so it's pretty much like the, the the parallels there. There's like a, and then again, you're sort of dealing with uh, cogs in the machine of mm-hmm. this larger organization again, um, and then you jump to uh, you jump to Goldfinger and Skyfall, which. Are completely right. separate from that overarching story that you've had going for the last two films, but also very clear. Well, sorry, they're those two are probably out of any of the comparisons we're making are probably very clearly you know related. And in, in, in fact, I think people have made this connection before. That, that right, yeah, like Skyfall is very much inspired by Goldfinger and like its yeah. isolated story, and it's like not you know necessarily um, you know acknowledging the events of the past. And yeah. stuff like that, and there's like a there's like a um, an over the top eccentric villain. Yeah, the villain takes this, the the, the mm-hmm. spotlight for sure. Also, like weirdly enough, like very domestic settings. Like Goldfinger yeah. takes mostly takes place mostly in like Kentucky, and mm-hmm. Skyfall takes place mostly in like continental England. Yeah. Um, or like Ireland. I don't know what you call it when it's an island, but um. <laughs> no, but I think it was Scotland, right? Well, yeah, they're 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 on no, oh, but no, the, no, not not Ireland. I'm saying like it's an island, so I don't know if you can call it continent. Oh, sorry, your but, accent um, got in the way. Ah, is that what it is? <laughs> but yeah, no, no, they're definitely in Scotland. But um, yeah, yeah, there's like a more localized domestic sort of thing. Um, yeah, there's just a lot of that, like a lot of parallels going on there. Yeah. And then you get to Spectre and Thunderball, which is sort of like riding Direct, off the coattails yeah. of this huge success. Yeah. They sort of they just go 
okay, we're going to make the biggest fucking movie ever. So they make something huge. It's a little bloated and unwieldy in places. Yeah. yeah. And it almost takes the material more seriously than the previous film to the detriment of the of the film in some yeah. places. Um, like Spectre takes itself very seriously. Um, in the same way that sort of uh, Thunderball takes its plot more seriously than like a Thunderball mm-hmm. did, as uh, than, than Goldfinger did. Sorry. Um, yeah, there's a lot. There's just, like an you know, emphasis to sort of go to more exotic locales this time and yeah. sort of show it off. And yeah, they're um, they're basically showing off the budget they have. There, it's the yeah. blockbuster out of the four. Um, I think I was talking about this when I because I just watched Thunderball and I definitely saw the comparisons with Spectre. Even though I think Thunderball is a much better film, but it's just like they're just throwing their budget out there. They're like, look at all these underwater yeah. stunts we can do, and look at this action set piece, and like this weirdly iconic villain who's only iconic for a look um <laughs> yeah no exactly yeah, it's like, just it's like because yeah as much as i like um christoph waltz in the role he was for a lot of people very sort of underdone uh in the same right. way that i feel like largo is largo very is one note very um, yeah and yeah no there's a lot of really interesting stuff uh i mean they both deal with specter directly i mean this is really mm-hmm. the first i mean like he's up until Thunderball, you know, Bond had had run-ins with Spectre in the past. I mean, you know, from his first encounter with Dr. No, but it was more so Bond versus Dr. No trying to save the world or something like that. And yeah. then in From Russia with Love, it's less so that he's dealing with Spectre and more so with, like... Well, he's being um, manipulated by Spectre. In that well, one, right. So, I mean, yeah. he's being... Yeah. Um, but he doesn't necessarily know it, I think, right? I mean, he's well, like, yeah, he, he's, he's, he, he thinks he, that he's pulling a con on the Russians, exactly. as, which is part yeah. of their plan. Yeah. Which let, which leads to the more like, you know, cold war feeling of it. Um, mm-hmm. and then obviously Goldfinger, not, not, um, really dealing with specter, but, um, in spec or I'm sorry, in Thunderball, it is really the first time he's directly dealing with it. Cause you know, spec Blofeld sends, um, the British government, those, you know, ransom tapes saying like, if you don't pay this sum of money, we're going to send like set off nukes or whatever. Yeah. And um, there's like, yeah, that's, that's the thing is there's like a more direct, like, like it, it feels more like a specter operation rather than someone that specter is just yeah. sort of funding. And that's um, the kind, and that's kind of similar. It's, it's kind of a similar way to, uh, what, what specter is doing. Like the, the main villain of specter for, is like the organization of Spectre, and it's kind of embodied by Blofeld in that right. movie. But Whereas, even like in C, Thunderball, C is kind of like a like a Lago kind, like a one note henchman type who works exactly. Be, yeah, know. it just it's just Inspector. He's kind of the head of the organization, and in Thunderball, Largo is very much. I mean, he's the number two guy, mm. um, and he's kind of the embodiment of the organization. Yeah. No. Exactly. And then, uh, I, yeah, it's just like even in terms of. Like just sort of, I don't know, returning to the organization after that hiatus. Yeah, feels yeah. and then and then not only returning to the organization, but sort of trying to tie it back into the previous films yeah. in a way. Yeah, that, like it's less it's less like sort of overt in Thunderball, but there is like sort of this. Hey, remember Spectre from these previous films? Mm-hmm. We're gonna do that again. And obviously, in Spectre, there is a literal tying in all of the different villains to this organization. Um, so yeah, I, I just think there's a lot of parallels, which is weird, because uh, I don't think that was intentional. I think... No, and, yeah, I don't, I wouldn't say they were, and it even was like, either. Like just sort of that progression of going from like something more grounded to something more fantastical over four films, which happens with most Bond actors, but it's mm-hmm. so... 
I don't know. It, there's something about it that's just so uh, very, very odd. Well, even like <laughs> you know, you, you could look again. at um, you can look at Craig's portrayal of the character and see how he directly draws from Connery. I mean, he's definitely mm-hmm. more of the brutish force you know he's not as suave as say connery was but i mean he there are moments when he he has that you know um that like you know cool uh, sense to him um the womanizer kind of sense to him um but but he's definitely more of like a physical presence than anything which that was one of the things that connery was was you know well known for in his portrayal of bond um and and craig probably more so is going to be remembered for his physicality in the role. And so, I mean, you yeah. can definitely see him drawing from Connery in that regard. I mean, Ian Fleming at first hated Sean Connery because he thought he was too much of a brute to play Bond. So well, um, There you go. Yeah, yeah. I, only, I can only imagine what he would think of Daniel Craig. Oh, my God. Yeah, he, I mean... It, he might like him a bit more just because he's actually English, and he did. I think there's uh, a <laughs> that Sean Connery was a Scot. True, but, um, very true. Uh, which he actually, he eventually came around to and then incorporated Scottish heritage into Bond's um, lineage in uh, right. uh, 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 on a Majesty's Secret Service. But um, yeah, I don't know. It's just like, there's a lot of really interesting parallels, and I I don't see too many people talking about it other than the aesthetic. Obviously, the aesthetic choices to sort of make. Like sort of start dressing Craig a bit more like Connery and yeah, sort of change the yeah. sets a little bit. Um, hopefully they don't follow this trajectory to its logical conclusion because that means we're going to get a year and live twice and a diamonds are forever. Which we which well well I don't we won't get diamonds but we, <laughs> we, the will get you only the live gun twice. Go, yeah. They could jump the gun and go straight for diamonds. You never know. We don't want that. No or, one wants that. Or they can jump straight to Majesties. You never know. That, just, that's the trajectory I hope they mm, take, and not necessarily yeah. in like emulating that story, but in of course, emulating yeah, yeah. The, quality the quality of film yeah. and the approach yeah. to the film, like doing big stunts, doing big story, doing actual yes, stakes. And yes, like, yeah. And in in you know, speaking of Majesties, I know this is a little off topic, but that is the perfect balance of what that's like. What you were talking about of them, you know, having that personal story, that really compelling narrative. Yeah. Um, but pairing it with memorable action sequences that you know are unlike anything where you've seen you know at that point in time, and um, it's directed by Peter Hunt, who's mm-hmm. basically just an editor. So right, so maybe yeah. maybe what they need to do for the reboot, um, if they can't get Christopher, or I shouldn't say reboot, but for twenty six, if they can't <laughs> get Christopher Nolan, get one of the technical guys because I or one of the second unit directors who maybe understands the franchise a little bit more mm-hmm. um give them a shot in the spotlight because I'm I'm all for that ever since you mentioned that you know John Glenn um uh what, even the, going, the, the, the what was the guy's name hunt um oh Peter hunt yeah, Peter yeah. hunt I mean look at that like just and you could even go it goes far I mean different franchise but uh David leach and Chad Stileski I mean they were stunt men or I'm sorry stunt coordinators up until John Wick, and then you look and you see what they did with John Wick, and it's incredible. Yeah. So I think I think you said some Christopher McQuarrie was a writer. Yeah, Christopher McQuarrie for who who did who was doing the past two Mission Impossible films. He was a screenwriter on The Usual Suspects. So maybe some of these guys who you know don't necessarily spend most of their time in the director's chair need to be given that second look to tackle properties such yeah. as this because I think they have a lot of great ideas and to let and their voice be too. exactly you know I feel like they probably work better with the producers and such mm-hmm. um and you know especially if they're used to a certain genre or realm um 
or you know or franchise even it might yeah. be you know kind of a smart idea to go with one of them yeah which is not to say that i don't love that we're getting auteurs as well oh I not think. at all i yeah. i i'm 100% i 100% love the idea of danny boyle i'm just thinking like later down the road after the craig era maybe uh-huh. have christopher nolan kick off uh 26 with a bang and then get some smaller unknown directors like a like a chad stileski like a david yeah. leach like a you know christopher mcquarrie not not saying christopher mcquarrie should direct a bond film but like I someone be opposed, but <laughs> I, I wouldn't be opposed either i, I or let's even see like how a, fallout like, turns like out Brad but um, Bird or someone like that like someone who's right. done a mission impossible movie yeah but, um, <laughs> well in graduate. that case they can, they can finally graduate to uh <laughs> yeah to, to james bond well in that case let's just grab jj abrams i i do not want a jj abrams <laughs> his bond style film. is very he's got too I, much of a style yeah yeah it doesn't doesn't necessarily work for me but um <laughs> But anyways, getting back to the discussion at hand, yeah, it's just an interesting comparison to make between the two, and I think people have made the comparison before, namely Mm -hmm. in just like the the acting standpoint. But I don't, I don't, I like like you said, I haven't heard the trajectory of the films and the types of things the films tackle. I haven't, I haven't heard that comparison made yet. So it's really interesting that you bring that up. Yeah, no, it's just and it's just fascinating because. I think it happened. It's fascinating because it happened organically. Like I yeah, think with Pierce yeah. Brosnan, there was too much of an attempt to make him like Connery. Um, as much as I love was Pierce Brosnan, there? I, I, I didn't get that absolutely. at all. I mean, like, oh, absolutely. Pierce Brosnan was like the. As much as I love Pierce Brosnan, and I do, um, he's almost the the engineered Bond, where it's like he is genetically so, engineered. He's, he's, he, his whole, his whole, like, sort of his whole stint his whole tenure in the role was kind of designed to be you know peak bond it's like okay we're gonna do we're gonna do like a big old you know from russia with love story with this one oh we're gonna do a big old you know what i mean like we're gonna, we're gonna make his character mm. do all the the one-liners that connery did we're gonna make him do all the action that connery did but we're gonna throw a bit more of that that charm from Roger Moore in, like it was. Yeah, that's see, that's the thing of, that I think of when I think of um, Pierce Brosnan. Like I think he's more of a he's more of like a, a hybrid of Moore and Connery. Absolutely, yeah. But he's but I he's like was, way more of a womanizer than than Moore was for whatever reason. Like he, I think it was it. Weren't you saying that um, Pierce Brosnan has the most sex in like the the Bond films or something like that? I think like a while ago, you said that. Was I saying? Was I say sex or like he has like? I think he has the most sex and he also has the most kills. Yeah. Think, oh, that's what it is. Yeah, yeah. 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 He like I I I think he and Roger Moore are on par for the most sex. Um, Roger Moore just has the advantage of having more films, but um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but and it also was like the seventies and people were sort of like, I don't know, um, free spirited. Yeah. Whereas like. Yeah, Roger like so Pierce Brosnan was just balls to the wall. He was the, he's the American Bond <laughs> in that he is dude. He's the American oh my Bond God. in that he's like you know machine gun toting like just heavy. I mean he didn't actually drink as much as the other Bonds, but um, which no. is weird. Yeah, he doesn't smoke either. He's like got that like that sort of American nineties like sort of I don't smoke or drink, but I'm gonna fucking yeah. kill everyone. Um, and then fuck yeah, I mean, them. he is he is a '90s action <laughs> star in in those yeah. movies. Yeah, and I yeah. think um, whereas with Daniel Craig, they sort of just said we're going to go back to the roots. We're just going to adapt Casino Royale, and we're not going to try and force any of the Connery stuff on him. We're not going to force any of the Roger Moore stuff. We're not going to do the one-liners or anything like that. Yeah. We're just going to go back to basics in the same way that sort of Timothy Dalton was a back to basics. Um, 
And I think he just organically evolved over each film into a similar sort of path that Sean Connery ended up, because they both sort of started in the similar space of like, let's just go to the material mm-hmm. and... Like, and you you and make what you can of it. And make you what do you can of it. And it is yeah. interesting that Bond always seems to skew in this direction. Um, it's I think it's like just a natural, because of... Like it's, I, like it's, I, it's, it's his true north. Yeah. And yeah, it's it's very, very interesting. It, it makes me wonder what uh, Timothy Dalton's Bond would have become had he done two more. You know what I mean? Like, right. would he have found that true north as well or would he have stuck to the literary Bond as much as he did? Mm-hmm. Um, who knows? Uh, but it's really interesting. And I think... Uh, it says a lot about the character and the, the character's appeal. Yeah, um, yeah, and the film, the, and the film's appeal too, I guess. Well, and it also, uh, you know, speaks to how influential how, how influential Sean Connery was. Oh, absolutely, um, yeah. At establishing the character and kind of really finding that true north, and and you know, people are still drawing from it. You know, Daniel Craig still draws from it. Every actor really has drawn from his performance. Um, you have so to, yeah. There's, you have there's to. No way yeah. you can't, and it's like. Throwing even Timothy Dalton, who I think is the most literal literary Bond we've probably we're probably ever gonna get, yeah, but yeah. at least for now he's the, the closest. Even he kind of every now and then will throw in the one-liners or do something that's a little more like sort of Sean Connery esque, just because yeah. that's expected of Bond now. That is who Bond is. So yep. yeah, yep. it's interesting. Well, very fascinating discussion. I'm curious to hear your all thoughts on the topic we discussed. Do you think that there is, there's, you know, an odd amount of similarities between the Craig era and the Connery era? Um, are you seeing the comparisons that we're, we're making? Uh, leave, leave all your thoughts and opinions down in the comments section below. And then also while you're in the comments section, let us know what your favorite Craig film is and what your favorite Connery film is, because that'll be oh, interesting, yeah. especially when it comes to Connery. I think Craig, it's kind of just either one or one film or, or another film. Uh, <laughs> but anyways, guys, that is going to do it for this episode of The Words Are Not Enough. I'd like to thank Brody for joining me. Brody, where can everyone find you? You can all find me at Brody Cervelli on Twitter. If you'd like to see me arguing about Star Wars, um, that's what I'm doing right now. So, Yes, not even arguing about Bond, Star Wars. Yeah, man. I mean, when, when the Bond movie comes out, actually, I will argue... Remember that tweet we saw? This is a complete tangent. Remember that tweet we oh saw? Oh my god! About, Should we even um, do we even bring that up? I think it was about how just, Ethan well, Hunt was better than James Bond. Yeah, um, and it made me want to like actually commit a crime. Oh, um, man, that just. <laughs> <laughs> so that's like no offense to uh to the fine people. I, I've just gushed about the Mission Impossible uh, stunt work. No right, offense right. to those films, but. There's not even like a the character isn't even remotely as interesting as Bond. No way, <laughs> There's man. There's no character. It's just Tom Cruise it, yeah. running around. But um, yep. yeah. So th- th- if something else like that comes up, then you'll see me arguing about Bond. But other than that, I'm gonna be arguing about Star Wars for now. He's gonna be fighting the good fight. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna make a White Knight joke, but then I was like, oh crap! Now we're gonna tie back into Tomorrow Never Dies. Again, which we seem to do on a regular basis with this show. Oh, man. Oh, delicious. delicious. Oh, God damn it. I knew it. Fantastic. Oh, my God. We just can't can't get away from it. And you're about to watch the movie tonight, I believe, right? Hell, yeah. i got to keep the Pierce Brosnan train running. I watched Goldeneye last night, so i got to do it. 
There we go. There we go. Well, and uh, guys, if you do like this podcast, which hopefully you do if you're listening, please be sure to leave a rating and review on iTunes or iHeartRadio, wherever you're listening to this. But specifically iTunes, it really helps out the show. It helps us get noticed. Um, and, and leave your feedback because we ultimately want to hear from you. Are we doing a good job? Do we suck? Leave leave <laughs> all that good stuff in the ratings review section of the podcast feed on iTunes or you know in the comments section, whatever you want to do. Um, and also be sure to subscribe to to the Men vs. Movies YouTube channel for more podcasts like this and other movie and television related content. And lastly, guys, if you like me specifically and you like what I have to say, you can always give me a follow on Twitter at Griff Schiller. All right, that's going to do it for this episode. And until next time, guys, take care. I'm Jimmy. And I'm Kenny the Car Man. Hurry up and save at the all-new R-Town Ford. Your new choice in Randallstown. There's hundreds of new Fords with total savings to up to $12,000. Or choose 0% financing up to 72 months. It's my town. It's your town. It's R-Town Ford. Hi, I'm Jimmy. And I'm Kenny the Car Man. Hurry up and save at the all-new R-Town Ford. Your new choice in Randallstown. There's hundreds of new Fords with total savings to up to $12,000. Or choose 0% financing up to 72 months. It's my town. It's your town. It's It's R-Town Ford.